Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Yes, what a, what a blessed God we have who makes all things new. That uh, every day is a cause for rejoicing in our great God. Um, man, looking forward to this message today in Romans chapter 5. But let's uh, pray as we begin. Oh, just one thing before we pray. Uh, we will be having communion directly following the service. So uh, those who are born again, you are invited and welcome to come forward uh, and we'll receive of the, the cup and the bread. And then I will lead us in a prayer together. And uh, it's great to be able to proclaim the name of our savior till he comes. What an awesome God and King. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. And thank you for our savior who makes us new, new creations by your grace. And I pray that your grace and your goodness and your glory would flood through our lives uh, into this world, that we would be like a light in the world that cannot be dimmed, the salt of the earth that does not lose its savor. Those who are rejoicing in and proclaiming the goodness of our savior day by day, the one who's forgiven us, the one who's made us righteous by grace, the one who's with us will never leave or forsake us. And so Lord, we meet in honor and uh, to glorify you. And we pray that you would be honored truly as we worship you, as we read your word, as we sing songs to your holy name. Just thank you again for accepting us into the beloved, for giving us a hope that is beyond this world that we can experience right now by your grace in Jesus name. Amen. I like seeing those antiques roadshow clips. Someone brings in an item passed down through generations or was bought in an op shop and they get them appraised. And some people are really confident. Like I've got something that's really valuable. And the guy's like, yeah, it's like 20 bucks. It's a reproduction. Sorry. And, and someone else, they had just had this painting leaning against a wall in their shed and they just on a whim, it looks old. I'll just take it in. And they're like, it's worth a lot. This thing is a collector's item or something they only used as a doorstop. That's uh, some precious antique. And so they treated something that was valuable and, and had desirability. People would have desired it, but they treat, they didn't insure it. They didn't put it behind bulletproof glass in a museum because they, they didn't see the value in it. And once someone's made aware of the value, the expert has given them the appraisal. It's then their decision, how they are going to treat that item. If it goes back to being a doorstop or if it is given a place of honor, if they would insure it or sell it to collectors for big money. So knowing something, knowing the truth about that item, it should change the way that you view it. And when we're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we're made children of God. And there are so many blessings of the kingdom of God that have been given to us um, that we don't often realize. It's like we are children of God. And though children are very intelligent, a lot can go over their heads, right? You can talk about things and be alluding to things in adult conversation that they don't quite get. And they don't know that they're not getting it. So as a, as a child of God, we're looking forward to going to heaven. We're glad that our sins have been forgiven, but we only have a faint idea of the entitlements we have as children of God. I think of us and memberships, right? You have a membership to a gym. Doesn't mean that you go to the gym. You, you may have had, you know, a, a gym membership for a year and you went twice after a new year's resolution and then kind of forgot about it. 
So you had these benefits you were not using, or you have an NRMA membership and you didn't realize you had discounts here or there, or an Amazon Prime membership, and you're like, I didn't know they did music and video streaming and free next day shipping. Wow, I've been missing out on a lot. That was mine. I could have drawn upon it, but I just didn't know. I didn't know it was that good. And these things pale in comparison to the blessings and benefits we have as children of God, things he's already given us because we are in Christ. Things that we have not yet to realize the value of things that we have not really used because we didn't know it was ours and we need God. We need everything he supplies by his grace and may he open our eyes to see it. Give us faith to receive it and also to live in light of it. So Romans chapter five, starting in verse one, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul's demonstrated that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He's now holding forth the gospel, the righteous, the way that we can have righteous standing in God's sight by grace through faith in Jesus, that it's not by the works of the law. It's by faith that God's righteousness is imputed or credited to us. And we are undeserving sinners. And yet he sees us as truly righteous based upon what Jesus has done for us. Since our good standing in God is by faith in Jesus. Paul says, here are some benefits because God has designed it this way. The, the, the benefits that are granted to every believer because it's by grace through faith. The first one is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having peace with God is more than just peace from God. In our sinful state, our posture was one of enmity and hostility with God. His law condemned us. His law judged us as sinners. And we opposed God with our words and actions and our attitudes. But now having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace facing God. All the law that was contrary to us has been swept aside all the offense as if it never happened and replaced with peace. And this is more than a, a feeling, right? If you say, I have a peace about it. Like I feel okay. This is more than just a feeling. This is a permanent righteous standing with God where we are. Um, we are together as one. It's kind of like, um, when I talk about it in contrast to a feeling, it's like Australia and the United States. We see the United States and Australia as a close ally. We have shared values. No matter what kind of news comes out of the States, whether it's good news or bad news, we are committed to remaining allies with them and to support one another, right? You could get bad news, but it's like, well, we are their ally. They are our ally. We support each other. So our relationship with God is now marked with peace and it's been settled on account of what Jesus has done for us. And we've received it by faith. The second thing we've received is access by faith into grace, which we stand. So we've come to God through faith in Jesus and we have this permanent good standing with God. If finding favor in God's sight was by us doing good, then it would follow that we could lose that status by doing bad. But because it's by grace through faith in Jesus, 
We have this standing that's permanent. He looks upon us favorably out of his goodness, not because we're worthy. It's because he loves us because he's gracious. Think about your flight status credits in some airlines. They only last for a year and you may gain, you have me be part of a loyalty program and you fly all these flights and book all these so that you can have these rewards. You can have lounge access or something. Um, but they expire after 12 months. If they expire, then you lose out. You have to start all over. Like your status is not static. It's changing and you can lose it if you don't use it. Right. But now it's not like that with God. We have full access into him by grace through faith. Hebrews 4:16 it says let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're a frequent flyer or only a infrequent flyer, lounge access sounds like a good thing. I would be cool with that. Preferred seating, that's great. But Access into grace by which you have good standing before God. Always. You always have the top preferred status in his eyes just because he's good. That's awesome. Now and for all eternity. The third thing we see that by faith in Jesus, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have this sure expectation of being partakers of God's glory. Think about a child who sees the gift their parents bought them for their birthday or Christmas. They've seen it. Then you're like, we're going to wrap this and set it aside. And the kid's like, I know what I know what's coming, right? It's just a matter of when I'm allowed to open it, but it's mine. Well, that's the glory of God. You have this told us you have the glory of God and uh, Colossians three, four, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Like that is mine to be with God in glory forever, to have that freely given to me, knowing not just that it's waiting for me, but something I have right now. That is awesome. We know we have this because of what Jesus said. If you turn to John 17 verse 22, so this glory, while it is eternal and it is in our future, we also see that God has given us this now through oneness with him, our good standing with God. John 17, verse 22, Jesus is praying and the glory, which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Notice the glory. Jesus says, I have given them. He gave them the glory of oneness with him and oneness with one another through being part of the church. So what God has done through Jesus dying on the cross, it's glorious that we who were sinners cut off from God have been united with him by grace forever. And we have this good standing with him. We have peace with God. And these are permanent conditions by his accomplishment on Calvary. And we have a glorious future as well. How great is this? And we're going to hear this a lot. The beginning of verse three. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy spirit 
who was given to us. In addition to having peace with God, access by grace into good standing with God and a sure expectation of his glory. We have already received. He says, we also glory in tribulation by faith in God. We have a new perspective of trials and troubles. We did not have before. Not only are we blessed with peace and this good standing, we can glory in something that we used to only see as terrible and something we only wanted to avoid. Now, when faced with those things, we realize that they are a way that God presses us closer to himself. Uh, He describes tribulations as pressing together, pressure, opposition, affliction, distress. You guys ever felt pressure? Time pressure, peer pressure, all kinds of pressure. Well, know that that's pressure that God's saying, come closer to me. Draw to me. I am pulling you to myself. So he uses a tribulation that we could be drawn nearer to him so that we could know him better. So we could trust him more. And this doesn't happen apart from some trials and tribulations. He sovereignly chooses for us to go through. And so those who are proved by these tests who endure them, they, it says it produces perseverance. That means being approved and being approved, then you grow in godly character. And this character makes us confident that God loves us and has our good in mind, regardless of how we feel. So what used to work against us, we know God is using to work for us, for our good. We read that in two Corinthians four, 17, 18, Paul says for our light affliction, which is, but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the most horrific circumstances we could ever face, they are light by comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us through Jesus. Now we've often been disappointed when our expectations have not been met or things did not pan out how we would have wanted But now because our hope and our confidence is in God who loves us, we never suffer the shame of God's promises failing. We fail. Our plans don't come to pass, but God has poured out his love on us through the Holy spirit. And this is the first mention of the Holy spirit in the book of Romans that God's love toward us is so abundant. So personally applied that we all have the Holy spirit within us who regenerates us, who comforts us, who helps us, who guides us into all truth, a flood of living water that, that shows us uh, the assurance of God's presence and his power. You think of the children of Israel going through the wilderness for 40 years and they had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it was always there. They could always look and at the middle of the night, they could look and, and the camp was illuminated by God's presence. And we go, that would be cool to just know that God's there. Well, no, based on God's word, God is here. God is within you. If you are born again, his light shines through you in you and through you by his grace. This is the good standing that we have through him. And he reminds us of his promises. He draws us to himself in a trial and he works to change us for good. And you can talk to people who have experienced that 
and they will testify that this is true. We too can testify. Verse six, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to illustrate that our good standing is by grace through faith in God alone. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, while we were still, we were still enemies of God. We were without strength. So we had no ability to be useful to God or to, to do anything for God at all. Think about if you're choosing teams, would you choose someone who could walk or who could run or who is without strength? And they're like, I just want to lay down. Like, I'm not ready to play a game. Like you're not choosing them. But God's like, when we, when we were without strength, that's, that's when he chose us. When we couldn't do anything for him, when we were only disobeying him, when we were opposed to him, that's when he chose to demonstrate his love. So that's not, we can know it's not because we earned it. It's because he loves us. We were natural enemies of God. He had every reason to destroy us wholesale like sinners in the days of Noah. Yet God sent his only begotten son to die so that we could be redeemed. We could be born again and live with him forever. And if it was the only thing that God ever did for us, it would be enough to praise and glorify him for the rest of our lives, right? If he just saved us, if he just forgave us, but he has done infinitely more than that. By continuing to love us. It wasn't a one and done thing. He keeps loving us. He keeps pursuing us. He allows the trial. He sends his Holy Spirit. He helps us day by day. He's intimately acquainted with meeting our needs. He cares about how we feel, what happens to us. And he's always with us. He keeps loving us. You've heard many times God loves you. The fact that God loves you. It ought to have an enormous influence over your perspectives, the way you see things and also how you feel likely more than it does. Our love for ourselves or things that are not God, they can dwarf God's love for us. Think about when, when I was a kid growing up, I knew my parents loved me, but when I was at school and it had, it just had little impact in that moment when you're trying to fit in and you're trying to feel liked and you're being bullied. The fact that your parents love you at that moment, it doesn't seem to be that important. And that's how it can be with God's love because he loves you. And you're going through a trial. You're like, you don't realize how that should change things that, that, you know, I am loved by God right now, despite my sin, despite my failings. Through Jesus, we have the closest relationship possible with the almighty, powerful God who's with us and loves us when we don't deserve such access or acceptance. We're kind of like, and hopefully this sermon for you is like a kid who's been told to clean his room. And what happens when the, the child goes into their room and they start cleaning, putting away the clutter, they start discovering things. Right? They discover toys that they haven't played for, with for a long time and they get distracted by them and they stop putting away toys. They start playing with toys and they realize like, oh, this is actually cool. I forgot that I had this. It was shoved under the bunk bed or something. God will use tribulations to discipline us that we might rediscover his love for us so that we would see it as our most prized, valuable possession, him 
that we need and not to say, Oh, that's nice. And put it back in the tote and put it away, but to keep it with you in your heart to guide the way you see the world and how you feel and how you think and to say, God loves me. And I have good standing with him by his grace in the middle of this trial. And he's using it to draw me close to himself. That pressure of the trial is him hugging me. It's him holding me close and just directing my eyes back to him again. Imagine what you don't have allowing you to rob you of the joy of God's love poured out upon you through his only begotten son. And instead of celebrating a savior, we lament our lack and we wonder when, when our lives will get better, when Jesus is our life and can you get better than him? No, but that's why we need to change our perspective and we need God's help to do that. Picking up in verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You guys have seen those ads, but wait, there's more. If you call right now, this, you know, 20 bucks later, wait, there's more. He's like much more than, all right, you've been given good standing by God's grace. You have peace with God. You can rejoice in trials knowing that God loves you. But more than that, even more, there's more to appreciate about Jesus than what you ever dreamed. Because not only are you justified, you've been pardoned. You've been given this permanent standing with God. You've received the Holy spirit. You will be saved from wrath through Jesus. You will not face the wrath of God. You will be preserved. You'll be protected from it. His shed blood, not only justifies you pardons you, but protects you, saves you from hell forever. And it's not based upon what you've done. It's because he has accomplished it by the shed blood of Jesus. Now in verse 10, where it says, for if, when we were enemies, you could translate if as since, since we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus while we were enemies. And now we're reconciled. We will be saved by his life. We have total confidence that God's going to save us. Put it another way. If God reconciled us by his death, how much more will he protect us while he's alive? Right? Like if he saved us when we were sinners, how much more will he protect and care for us as his children? Now he was protecting us. He was caring for us while we were apart from him because he sent Jesus and other things. But he's like much more than realize that your relationship with God is a totally new thing that he has created. That's given you these crazy, amazing, true promises that we should believe in, that we should live by. Because we have this righteous standing before God, we also ought to rejoice in God. It says through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. We have peace with God now. It's like, if you liked the old painting that grandma gave you just because she gave it to you, not because it was pretty, but it's just something you remember her by you would like it even more. If it turned out to be worth 26 million us, right? 
You liked it before sentimental value, but now it has like financial value. Now, this is a true story. There was an elderly woman in France. She was moving house. She had a small painting about this big that she hung over a hot plate. She thought it was just some reproduction. It turned out when she was moving house that it was a 700 year old uh, painting that was worth 26 million. The, the contents of her home sold for 6,000 euros. The rest went to the tip, but she has this one painting that's just worth a fortune. And she had no idea. And you might think, why doesn't something like that happen to me? Realize 26 million could not reconcile you to God. 26 million could not make God your father. It could not give you righteous standing by his grace. We can rejoice because we have received the reconciliation from God. This is what we have. We have been reconciled with God. We were apart from each other. We were opposed to one another, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Be honest with yourself and with God. Would you prefer the painting, the money or peace with God? You're like, why can't I have all of it? But Let's, let's admit our carnality and say, you know, peace with God ought to dwarf the others. They should not even be mentioned together as a comparison because of how good peace with God is. Those other things cannot stand up to how great God is. The chance to be reconciled and to have peace with God isn't an inheritance to be looked forward to, but it's what we have right now through Jesus. And may we treasure Christ over all as he does us. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, which is a type of him who is to come. Paul now addresses the sin through Adam that entered the world and brought death and how sin passed all men. And this is important to establish. There's this lengthy parenthetic statement that begins in verse 13. It, you can see in verse 13, the beginning of the parenthesis there that will go to verse 17. And it explains the parallel of sin passing to all people. And then the justification by faith that's available to all people. That's what he's going to say as an overview. So the first observation we need to make is that Adam was a real person. He was a man as real as Moses, Jesus, me, or you. So he's not allegorical. He's not a symbol. He's a man and a type that points to a greater man who would come. We see the, that God created the world without death until sin came into the world. And after sin came, then death came and passed to all. And notice it says, because all sinned, not all would sin, but all sinned. So he's establishing that everyone sinned. Every one of us sinned when Adam sinned because Adam and Eve, they were the only people on the earth. They were all of humanity at one time. They were the only ones here. And so we sinned in them. This view is supported by the writer of Hebrews. He talks of Levi giving tithes through Melchizedek when Abraham tithed to him. Now, Abraham was, uh, Levi's great grandfather. He wasn't alive yet, but listen to what Hebrews seven, nine says. It says, even Levi 
who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So he's saying Adam sinned, all mankind sinned with him because he was all mankind at that time. And we've seen evidence of this ever since because everyone since him has sinned and everyone since him has died. The only one who broke this chain was Jesus because he was born. He was sired by the Holy spirit and not through the line of Adam. So Adam broke the one command that God gave him not to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Between Adam and Moses, there was no transgressions imputed because there were no lines to cross like, like the lines of the law. Remember the, the law of Moses. It gave us a lot of dividing lines between sin and avoiding sin, but people still sinned. You can rebel against God. We know that sin was present because death reigned, right? Death from Adam on has been the, the, the sure thing. Death. It reigns. Now, one thing that people hate is being condemned as doing wrong when they are innocent or they feel innocent. So they're like, that's not really fair that all would have sinned because Adam sinned. But what do you say of the grace of God that's been given to all people, those sinners? So we've already sinned and we keep on sinning. And yet God has made a way of salvation and forgiveness for us through faith in Jesus at his cost. He paid for it. Paul regards Adam as a type or a pattern who's pointing of Jesus, who is to come that pattern. It's like being struck with the image. Adam was created in the image of God. Adam was the first human being created and all others sinned in him. We are corrupt. We are in darkness and heading for death. But Jesus, he reversed that by becoming the head of a holy nation. Now children of light in the Lord. So Adam's a type by whom sin and death passed to all men. It foreshadowed the anti-type of Jesus, who is infinitely greater. He gives righteousness and eternal life to all who are redeemed. Picking up in verse 15. Now hang in there. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that, which came through one who sinned for the judgment, which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, which came from many offenses resulted in justification for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So he says the free gift is not like the offense. He was pointing to the type and the anti-type. And now he's saying there's a distinction between the gift and the offense because Adam's sin, it brought death to his descendants, but because of Jesus, the grace of God and life through him has abounded to many. So the wages of sin is death, the gift of God, the gift of righteousness. It's freely offered to everyone. It's like there was sin in the world and God's grace and love overflowed it. It flooded over everyone who was sinning and gave them the chance to become sons of God, that we could be redeemed and reconciled. So it's like death was prevalent, but then God's grace was more abundant, more powerful than death because Jesus has overcome. Death was swallowed up by life. Like light drives away darkness and shines. 
Now, the second point that Paul makes is the gift was not like the sin, which came through Adam. Adam sinned once condemnation passed to everyone. Despite our transgressions, God's free gift, it results in justification. So there's all, it wasn't just one sin. There were tons of sins and an incredible amount of sin, but Jesus, by doing that righteous act of submitting himself to God, dying on the cross has now given us life and a hope of heaven. Adam sin, you don't have a choice in that, but we do have a choice to receive forgiveness through Jesus. By the sin of Adam, death reigned much more. Those who receive Christ's superabundance of grace, it says will reign in this life through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wrote to believers in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. So if you're an Adam, you are dead. You're heading for ruin. Those who are in Christ by faith will live forever. They'll never taste death. Even when you die yet shall you live by the grace of Christ. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin and we are more than conquerors through faith in him. We can, because we've received his life, because we've received his righteousness, we live in triumph over sin and death through Jesus right now. Maybe this benefit of justification by grace through faith, you've never really thought about. Like you believe that you will rise one day and be taken to the father, right? He's going to receive you by his grace. Well, we have power over sin and death right now because of what Jesus has accomplished. You are assured of victory over eternal death and sin that brought death. And so we can live in victory over sin that brings death, even though we have sinned and we continue to sin, but death nor sin does not need to rule over you anymore because of what Jesus has done. And it's possible that we can be a slave to sin in areas of our life. Jesus has declared us free, but you've been lured by the deceitfulness of sin, uh, the hard hardness of your heart. You can even be taken captive by the devil to do his will. These are the, the maladies that can afflict genuine saints, but there's still a sure hope for you right now because of what Jesus has done because of the price he has paid. Repent of your sin, put your trust in Jesus and a new life by faith in Jesus is yours today. You've known the facts about the gospel, but your life, it may be a far cry from the peace with God, this good standing by God's grace, rejoicing in the hope of God, glorying in tribulation. You're like, these things are all mine, but I don't see this really in my life. Well, it's good that, to come to that realization and saying, this is what, this is the life God's given me. I'm happy to receive forgiveness. I'm happy to receive the hope of heaven. Receive these other things too. walk free from the power of sin. Walk rejoicing in the glory of God to the wandering sheep, to the sheep, not of his fold. Jesus calls us to repent, to receive the free gift of righteousness by faith. 
Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience were many made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now he summarizes the comparison contrast between the impact of Adam's, Adam's sin that leads to condemnation and how Jesus could offer that free gift now to everyone uh, for all who believe. It's similar logic to saying if Jesus didn't die, then he couldn't rise from the dead. It's important to establish Jesus did in fact die. He was buried and thus it's, we can say it was a miracle when he rose from the dead because he was actually dead. Thus, it's necessary for everyone to be condemned by sin so he could establish everyone is eligible to receive the free gift. Because you might say, oh, I'm not, I don't think I'm eligible for that free gift. I've done too much sin or my heart's not right or I've made all these mistakes. But look at what Jesus has done. Look at how he has, he is raised from the dead. Adam sinned. Yes, you have sinned, but you can be born again. You are, you are eligible for all for Christ and all the benefits from him by grace through faith in him. Because by Jesus obedience to the father, he provided righteousness for everyone justified by faith, pardoned, accepted. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says that really the giving of the law was an act of grace of God because it made sin abundant. It made sin really obvious for people who are like, Oh, I've never sinned. Well, he gave us the 10 commandments and we say, how do you measure up? Well, not so good, but since he gave us the law, then we can say, Oh, it's evident that I am a sinner. I have lied. I have looked with lust. When my dad was having, before he had a scan, they wanted to know the extent of his cancer. So they took a little bit of radioactive sugar and they injected it into his body. And what that sugar does is the cancer cells, they feed on the sugar. And so that will light up bright under a scan. So what it does is because cancer cells are growing quickly and they feed on the sugar, when you take that PET scan, they can go, wow, okay, the cancer's right here, or it's spread, or it's smaller now, right? You could have good news out of that. So the sugar doesn't make the cancer. The sugar helps reveal the cancer, right? So in the same way, the law, it didn't create sinners. It revealed our sinfulness. It showed us in black and white how sinful we are and how much we need salvation, how much we need God's forgiveness. He, he introduced the law into the world to pinpoint our sin and to put it under the bright light and under the microscope of his word and his spirit and say, look, sin everywhere in the way you think, in the way you feel, in the way that you act, your attitudes, everything sinful, not like me. However, so that's bad news, but where sin abounded, grace superabounded. There was so much more grace than sin 
because he was able to cover everyone's sin to wipe us clean. When we repent and trust in him, it says sin reigned in death by the obedience of Christ. Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. So death is no longer on the throne. If you're born again, God's grace through Jesus, our Lord now rules and reigns over your life. God's grace. That's your ruler. God's love. That's what guides us, how we are to live. So death no longer on the throne. It's Jesus on the throne. Now a PET scan, it can only show you where the cancer is located. It doesn't have the power to kill cancer. It actually feeds it. And that's what the law did. Can't, can't get rid of sin. It feeds sin. It just adds to sin. It shows us how exceedingly sinful we are. The law could not destroy the power of sin, but thanks be to God. The rule of sin, the rule of death has been overthrown by Jesus. Who's created a new and living way to righteousness by grace through faith, a free gift that we receive. Now it's pretty, there's a lot of illustrations we have about the law, but the grace that God's shown us by Jesus coming to God, becoming flesh coming to earth, Dying on the cross, it's without parallel. It is the apex. There is nothing that can compare to what God has done. Like there's no example that I can give you that perfectly illustrates God's grace because there's nothing like it in this world. Nothing. It is epic. It is eternal. It is amazing. He alone stands in majesty. No one or nothing can compare with his glory. The a willing, obedient submission of Jesus to the father. He's our example to follow. He is our example. He is our illustration of a life lived well before God. He obeyed God. He trusted God. He humbled himself before the father. He gained victory over sin and death. That should inspire us to praise and thank God for his super abundance of grace that we've received through the gospel. We're not like we sinners. We're not like diamonds in the rough. We're not like that painting that was hung over the hot plate that the experts like, Oh, that could actually be valuable. We weren't like that at all. We were like dry wood full of knots. Couldn't build anything with it. Only good for destruction, splintery, only fit for the fires of hell. But God in his great mercy for us, He's exposed our sin. He's shown us our need for righteousness by the life of his only begotten son and given us peace with God through faith in Jesus. And through Jesus, we have access into this grace by which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of God. We receive reconciliation with God. Who's demonstrated his love for us. Not when we were doing better, but when we were sinners, he loves us. I mean, peace with God, God's love for you, his grace toward you. Are, is, are those like dusty relics that have been in the closet for a while when you need him today as much as ever? Today, we remember and proclaim Jesus by receiving communion together and obedience to his command. After Jesus was crucified, the scripture had been fulfilled. This is what Jesus said in John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus says this triumphantly. To which means 
uh, paid in full. It is finished. He has paid the price for our sin. He has provided atonement. He has made a way, a new and living way to approach God through faith in him. That no longer death or sin need reign in our lives, but grace and righteousness and our savior. So he defeated sin, sin and death. We have this new life assured us by the gospel. And he ushered in this sovereign rule of grace over all of us. A new dawn. When we take up the bread, the broken bread, it symbolizes the body of Jesus broken for us. The cup is the represents the new covenant of his blood that was shed for us. So we are washed and made clean. He was broken so we could be made whole. And we receive this together, not to have peace with God. We do not eat this to be forgiven or to be saved, but because Jesus is our savior because he died for us and he rose again because he shed his blood to give us new life through him. And now we have the Holy spirit within us. And it's like much more, much more than he, he has continued to love us. He's been gracious to us and uh, how blessed we are to call him father, to be included among his children, to be counted righteous, to have peace with God. It just does not get any better than that. Could I please have the worship team come forward and they will lead us in a song. And uh, while that song is going, I invite people to come up and take of the, the cup and the bread, and then we'll partake together. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done through revealing our sin, providing for our needs and giving us the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that his blood was shed for us, that through faith in Jesus, we can have peace with God. We can have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, that sin and death doesn't reign over us anymore. If we are in you, but now Christ and love, grace, his righteousness. Lord, help us to walk in newness of life. Help us to be those who confess our sin before you and who choose, uh, choose to follow you. And that the, the things of this world that have our interest or the things that we love that are not God, Lord, I pray you'd open our eyes to see that so we could confess that and forsake them. Thank you that you don't forsake us. Thank you that you don't forget about us but you draw us close to yourself, even in trials and difficulties. Lord, may we know your presence when the pressures of this world grows fierce. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to yourself in that embrace that you, you won't cast us out. You won't forget about us. And just thank you for this reminder, Lord, of all that you've done, all the benefits we have that really just uh, are a product of your grace for us all. Lord, I pray that you would uh, search our hearts that we would humble ourselves before you and uh, truly call you Lord in Jesus name. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, we're in awe of how great you are and that you would choose to humble yourself and to give your life so we could live. And we thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you for his shed blood and through him sprinkled many nations that caused grace to overflow all the sin and corruption of mankind and the, the fall of this world. And you've given us a hope, a living hope, a way to glory with God, a way to know you and to know your love. And Lord, you have pierced our hearts with your word. You have broken us for our sin. And we thank you. We thank you for showing us our need and how hopeless and helpless we are in ourselves for exposing our sinfulness and that we are headed for destruction forever, separated from God in hell. And we praise you, Lord, that you have given us new life and a hope and a new King, Jesus, who loves us, who calls us by name, who sent the Holy Spirit to fill us, who gives us exceedingly great and precious promises. And we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do, Lord. I pray that we would appropriate these gifts that you give us, that we would receive your forgiveness and that repentance would lead to rejoicing. We would rejoice in you. We would celebrate you. We would proclaim you and our lives would glorify you in Jesus name. Amen. Partake.